I've heard so many wonderful things about this church, and I was so excited when Emily invited me to come and uh, and preach on this day. And I uh, I love Jesus. I love my family. I love going to churches. I get to travel around and speak at different churches all the time. And I do wear orange, but Brad, I bleed red. I, I am just full of uh, Texas Tech running through me. When I was at Texas Tech, I was a saddle tramp there. And uh, and just uh, if you don't know what that is, didn't go to Texas Tech. <laughs> but uh, we were a spirit organization there. And I was preaching a few weeks ago at this church over on 45th, I think it is. And uh, it's it's called Southwest Church of Christ. And I was preaching over there, and I was telling them, you know, I've been here one time before, and I said, I think it was my first time in Amarillo. You're going to like this place. And I said that I, I don't know why I was here, but I was a student at Texas Tech, and I was studying the Bible with Raider Red. Raider Red is the mascot of, of Texas Tech. And anyhow... Raider Red wanted to be baptized into Christ, and so I went to that church in Amarillo. I just called them up. I didn't know one thing about it. I said, do you have a baptistry I can use? And they said, yes. And so I said, you have a holy church building because Raider Red was baptized here. But I am so excited about the Super Bowl today because I get to see Patrick Mahomes play and win uh, the Super Bowl today. But when I was at Texas Tech, I studied uh, economics and finance. And I learned so much there that I've just been continually blessed by. But there's a lot of things that I did not learn about economics when I went to Texas Tech that I've learned since that time. I've learned after going into ministry, and I've learned after doing missions in Africa. And so I thought today that I would just share some things that were economic lessons that I learned. I like to call it God's economics. Let me tell you a few stories and share a few verses with you today. And maybe they'll help you when it comes to economics and the way that you think so that you'll learn what God's economics is all about. Well, I was in that slum. It's called the Olinda Slum, and it's uh, in Kisumu, Kenya. It's the place where the AIDS orphans surrounded me and said, will you wear orange for us? And I did, and I do. And so I was there, and as I was talking to our director there, his name was Jared Odiambo. He's the guy that takes care of the kids there. And as I was talking to him, I said, Jared, why is that little kid over there staring at me? And I think I got a picture of him. This kid right here, he was just staring at me. And I said, he, he just won't quit. And Jared said, well, he thinks that if he gets to talk to you, that you will get him a sponsor for his life. And at Christian Relief Fund, we sponsor kids. And, you know, for $35 a month, you can sponsor a kid. And if a kid gets sponsored, he gets food, he gets clothing, he gets an education, he gets spiritual training. And this kid, he, he really was hoping that he might get sponsored, and he thought if he talked to me, he might get sponsored. And so, anyhow, I said, well, uh, I like his shirt. <laughs> He's wearing this orange shirt. And Jared said, well, that's not his shirt. I said, what do you mean? He said, he knew you wore orange. And so he went around the slum just trying to find someone who would loan him an orange shirt for the day so that he could be wearing an orange shirt when he talked to you. And I said, well, tell me more about it. He says, well, he's an AIDS orphan. He lost his parents from AIDS. He, if you get close to him, you'll notice he's got a big lump on his back. He's got a tumor on his back. He doesn't get to go to school because 
who didn't have enough money to pay for the school fees, and he just really doesn't get to eat much. He said, well, I better go talk to him. So I walked over to where he was standing staring at me, and I bent over, and I said, I asked the first question that came to mind. It's the question you had asked. What would you ask this little kid? What's your name? That's right. So I bent over, and I said, what's your name? He shook my hand and looked up at me, and he said, Milton. And at first, I thought he was talking to me, but then I realized, no, his name was Milton. And right there, it was just a, a, an incredible moment in my life because I wondered, why him and why me? And I just kind of looked at us both, and here was little Milton in the orange shirt, and here was Big Milton in the orange shirt. Little Milton didn't have an orange shirt. Big Milton has a whole closet full of orange shirts. Little Milton didn't have enough to eat. Big Milton eats way too much. Little Milton didn't get to go to school. Big Milton has no idea how many years I've been to school. Little Milton lost his parents of eight. Big Milton didn't. Little Milton has a big tumor on his back, and Big Milton doesn't. Why him? Why not me? And right there it dawned on me something that changed my life. Right there it dawned on me that I have won the cosmic lottery. You know what I mean? By being born when I was born and where I was born, I have won the cosmic lottery. And you have too, because there's no group of people in the history of this world that has more than we have. You, I guarantee you, you are in the top 1% of income of the people in the whole world. You say, well, I don't make that much. You're still, you're here, and you live where you live. You're in the top 1% of the people in the world. We tend to compare ourselves with ourselves, and we think that we don't have that much. But you compare yourself with the world. We have a lot. We have won the cosmic lottery. And I don't tell you that to make you feel guilty because that doesn't do any good. I tell you that to make you feel grateful. You know what I mean? I mean, with all that God has given us, shouldn't we be really grateful? And I also tell you to make you want to give, to help the little Miltons of this world. Now, Jesus in Luke 12, 48, he says this. It's a familiar passage, but it's really important to think it through. It says, to whom much is given, from him much is expected. Okay, to whom much is given. Who's that? It's you and me. We're the people that have been given more than anybody in the history of the world. Much has been given to us, and if much has been given to us, there's a lot that is expected of us. Little Miltons, they have some expectations. But more than that, God has expectations. So we start this with God's economics that we have won the cosmic lottery. And so God has expectations on us, but then there's little Miltons in the world that have expectations on us too. And I learned this when I was in a desert in Kenya. It was a place where it hadn't rained in eight years. Can you imagine that? I mean, we haven't had sometimes here with no rain. But can you imagine it not raining for eight years? And so what do people do? Well, they find these little pockets, these little pools of water in the ground that, that seep up, and they'll 
get their water there, and they'll carry it for miles back to wherever they live, and the water is totally polluted, usually green or brown, and they drink that water, and, and when they drink that water, it's contaminated, and it's going to kill them. But if they don't drink that water, they die sooner. So they drink the water and die later. So anyhow, Christian Relief Fund, what we do is we drill water wells. And we drill water wells. We, uh, we drill about three a week in developing nations and desert places. This is one of our rigs. And, Brad, you'll be really glad to know that this rig was given to us by the chairman of the board of Texas Tech University. And he bought two of them, 600,000 apiece. And so... Uh, we owe a lot to uh, to some graduates of Tech, and he was also a finalist at Constellation. And so anyhow, uh, we drill water wells there, and we have matching funds. If anybody ever wants to drill a water well, we can help them out. And today we'll have uh, over uh, 800,000 people. We started drilling six years ago, and today we'll have over 800,000 people that will drink water today and every day from one of our wells that we and, and that's just such a blessing. And so we drilled this water well, and this is in the desert of Tacana in the northwest part of Kenya. And uh, we hit water. And after we hit water, I had a verse I wanted to share with you. And so all the people are gathered around. You know, we just hit water. It takes us about six days to drill a well. And we hit this water. And then when we hit the water, the people are pretty excited about it. And so I shared with them Psalm 107, verse 35. It just seemed like the verse to share with them. It says, but the Lord can also turn deserts into lakes and scorched lands into wilderness. Isn't that good? You just hit water in the desert. Is that a good verse to share? And so I shared that verse with them, and then I turned and I yelled at them, and I had an interpreter. I said, do you know what kind of God you have? And they said, what kind of God do we have? And I said, you have a God who can bring water into the desert. And when I told them that they had a God who could bring water into the desert, you know what they did? They started jumping up and down. And they're really tall people there in that tribe. Yeah, the Takana tribe. I mean, they are really tall. You know, they look like NBA basketball players. And they started jumping up and down, jumping up and down, jumping up and down. And they wouldn't stop. And they jumped up and down for, I bet, 30 minutes. And I was just watching them jump up and down with all this joy. And I, and I started thinking about myself, and I thought, when's the last time I jumped up and down because I had water? You know what I mean? The answer is never. I've never jumped up and down because I had water. And these people who are dying in the desert with a lack of rain for eight years get water on this day, and they cannot stop rejoicing. They jump up and down and jump up and down. Well, the chief was there. So the chief came over to me. And he said, I would like to give you a gift since you brought water. And I said, well, really, God brought water. He said, I'd still like to give you a gift. And I said, okay. I said, what do you want to give me? He says, I want to give you some land. And I said, wow, well, thank you. He said, where do you want the land? And I said, by the water. And he said, well, what are you going to do with the land? And I said, I'm going to start a farm. And he said, are you a farmer? And I said, no, I don't know anything about farming. He said, well, how are you going to start a farm? I said, I'm going to hire farmers right here from your tribe. And so I started calling out. I said, who would like to farm my new land? And I got some volunteers. I said, I said no, this is not for free. I'm going to pay you with the food from our 
if you will farm my land. And so I had this, these people start volunteering. You see what we got going here? We, we start off and we've got a water. And then we've got a farm. And now we've got an economy going. We've got the people who are working there. And so the chief said to me, I'll never forget this. You're doing all this because of Christ, aren't you? So I thought about that, and I said, yes, I am. Yes, I am. I'm doing this because of Christ. And then he had even a better question. He said, do you think, do you think that all my people could become Christians? And I said, that's not a bad idea. I said, Chief, you know what you need? He said, what do I need? I said, you need a church here. And I and I had some guys with me, and several of them were preachers. And I said, what do y'all, you got to stay here for a while. you got to plant a church. And they did, and we got a really great church going on there today. And so, anyhow, we've got some water here. You know, we've got a farm going here. We've got a church that's going to be coming here. And I just kept walking with the chief. And finally, we got to this place. There's not that many trees in the desert, but there's this one kind of big tree here in the desert. And I looked under the tree, and there were children sitting under the tree. Now, I don't know how many were there. There may have been a hundred, a couple hundred children just sitting under the tree. So I was with the chief, and I turned to the chief, and I said, Chief, why are all these children sitting under the tree? He said, well, they're famine orphans. They lost their parents in this huge drought that we're in right now. And I said, well, how did they get here under this tree? And he said, I dumped them there. I said, you dumped children under a tree? And he said, well, where would you have dumped them? I've never been asked that before. Where would you dump them? And I said, I don't really know. Know what I'd do with all these? I, I said. He said, "Well, do you know why I dumped them there?" And I said, "No, I dumped them there because I knew you were coming, and I figured you would help them." See, all these people, they have all these kids, hundreds of kids under a tree, and they all have expectations. They have expectations of me that I will help them out, and it really wasn't that bad a thing. And that's the second lesson of God's economics that I learned, is that people are waiting on me for help. Did I help them? Of course I did. Of course I did. You know why I helped them? Because I have won the cosmic lottery. And I have friends here in Amarillo that have won the cosmic lottery also. And my God has more power than the problems of children sitting under a tree. In Proverbs chapter 3, verse 27 and 28, it says, Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to act. Did you get that? Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to act. Do not say to your neighbor, Come back tomorrow and I'll give it to you when you already have it with you. See, I'm there with all these children in the tree. I know how to help children. That's what I do is I help children. I can get back to Amarillo and I can talk to Emily Bell and she'll start coming up with all these promos and she'll start talking to people and all these 
little children will get sponsored and get saved. And we'll start a school for them. And there's a great school for them. I've got a picture of it. And, and the school was built by, by a church that was located, you know where? Amarillo, Texas. That's right. And so often in my life, I'll come up to situations where people need help. And I'll think, well, I'll help them later. When I know I could help them right now. And you see, that's what he's saying here. If you have the resources to help somebody and they're in need, help them. Don't say, well, I'm going to come back. I'll get with them later and all that. No, help them if you know how right now and you have the resources. Well, let me tell you the third one. And by the way, we started a school that was just uh, good in that place. And uh, third lesson I learned was it's not in that uh, in the desert. It wasn't in the slum of Linda's slum. It was in another slum, a place called Eldoret, Kenya. And uh, we uh, started a church there with all these water wells. In the last six years that we've been doing, we've been able to plant over 250 churches. Isn't that great? We drill this well, and we tell the people where the water came from. We said, this water comes from God. And they say, must be like God, Ben. <laughs> and, the water comes from, and so all of our drillers, in fact, every single one of our drillers that drills there in, uh, in this part of Kenya is a horrible family of oven. And every one of them is a preacher. And so every time we have a break, they go and share the gospel with these people that are watching us drill the water. And so as the water... Uh, is about to come, they're already starting to believe in Jesus, and then we plant churches there uh, for after they believe. Well, I was in Eldoret, Kenya, which is one of the most, uh, I mean, this is the place we plant a lot of churches, and they were planting this church, and they were really excited that I was there in that one, and they told me that it was going to be special someday. We're going to have a feast. I said, you're having a feast? I said, and I know these people. How in the world are you going to pay for a feast? They said, we're, we're not. You are. <laughs> and I said, oh, okay. And so these, these people there, they've never had beef before. They've never eaten beef. Isn't that magnificent? And so they said that they wanted to buy this cow. They wanted me to buy this cow. And so I did. And so I got this cow here. And they were just, I mean, they were so proud of that cow. And they were just paranoid that somebody was going to steal their cow. And so they decided that during that week, headed up to the beach, that they would keep their cow in the church building. So they kept a cow in the church building for a week. Well, when the big feast Sunday came, we decided to meet outside. And just a little church, newly planted church. On that morning, we had about 800 people come. <laughs> they heard about the food. And so anyhow, we they told me they needed me to preach a little bit shorter today. Okay? They said, we don't want you preaching over four hours. That's usually what I preach. I don't care if I preach about four hours. Okay. Well, anyhow, this is not going to happen. I, I, I can't do this. But uh, so we're going to 
they love it. I don't really like it. They got this stuff called Ugali. And I don't know what it what it is. It's kind of mixed between corn mush grits or something. But the thing about Ugali, they cook it. They think you haven't eaten unless you eat a bunch of Ugali. And here's the deal about eating Ugali. The more you eat of it, the bigger it gets. I mean, you can't get rid of it. You eat it, and you look down, and the plate's bigger. And, and anyhow, so they got lots of ugali on the table. And they said, you need to go first in line. I said, why is that? Well, two reasons. You paid for it, and you appreciate it. I said, okay. So I'm going through. I, I don't like the food, and I don't eat it. Okay? I've got plenty to eat. These people don't have a lot to eat. put a little on my plate, you know, not, not a whole lot, but it's plenty for me, and I'm real happy with the amount I've got on there, and then I go sit down, when I sit down, this woman comes up to me, and she looks at my plate, and she grabs it away, she says, what are you doing, I said, I, I've got to eat, she says, no, this is a feast, that's not the amount of food that you're supposed to have on your plate for a feast. So she took my plate and went back to where all the food was and just started piling it on, piling it on. I mean, it was just a heaping plate of food that I don't like. And and so I sat down and started eating my food. So I'm eating my food, and it's getting bigger and bigger. But you've got to finish your food, right? Because I had a mother. I grew up in Big Spring, Texas. And my mother told me that I had to finish my plate and eat my food. And the reason she gave me is because children were starving in Africa. And so I'm eating my food because these children are starving in Africa. And I, as much as I tried, I couldn't finish my food. I mean, it was just too much. It just kept getting bigger. And so I said, i got to get back to my plate. And so I see this woman who's kind of walking beside me. And I take my plate and I kind of go like this. I get up and I follow her just to see what she's going to do with my food because I'm just going to see she's feeling terrible if she throws my food away. And so I walk and I follow her, and she gets to this fence. It's kind of a fence about that tall. And uh, when she gets to the fence, she takes my plate, and she holds it up over the fence and leans over. And I look on the other side of the fence, and you know what's on the other side of the fence? A bunch of AIDS workers. And they're just jumping up, jumping up. And with their hands, they're grabbing the food on my plate because it's the only food they've got. And they haven't eaten in days. And they're taking the food off my plate and stuffing it in their mouth. And that's when I realized the third lesson that God had taught me. The less you consume, the more there is for others. And I've lived a life where I can First John 3.17, it says, If anyone has material possessions, sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in him? See, I just found two 
you're going to have a love of God. You're going to help people. That's what you do. And that's especially true right now. You know, Travis went through an awful time. Terry's the person that was really trying to do some stuff to help him out there right now. But you know what I find incredible? Is that right now, today, we're in the worst doesn't cover it. I don't know why. It covers all this other stuff, the junk that I don't even know about. And right now, the worst famine of the last 40 years is going on right now. And I think God wants us to do something about that. See, by doing something about that, John said, the love of God's in us. Freeland. waiting for you to help. The less you can help, the more you can help. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for your blessing. Lord, you've given so much to us. We're among the wealthiest, most blessed people in the whole history of the world. And Lord, we uh, don't want to feel guilty about that because you gave us what we have. But Lord, we really want to feel Lord, we pray that we'll realize that we have won the cosmic lottery and that you'll just make us aware of how blessed that we are. And then, Lord, help us to realize that you have some expectations on us and people have expectations on us and we can actually do something about it. Lord, help us not to be confused by that and be like Jesus and be blessed by that. And, Lord, we pray for Thank you.